there. Welcome to another opening, a podcast celebrating theater as we all jump back in, in between COVID and monkeypox. In this segment, I am honored to celebrate the White Heron Theater Company of Nantucket, a jewel located on the beautiful Isle of Nantucket. Recently, I ferried out there to interview director Michael Kopko and actor John Ellison Connolly in the midst of the run of The Half, a brilliantly written, acted, and directed one-man show about an actor in the dressing room one half hour before opening night in the middle of a terrible midlife crisis. Let's watch. Welcome, gentlemen. I am here today with John Ellison, is it Conley or Conley? Conley, and Michael Kopko, who is the producer uh, and is also the director of the particular show that we're going to be talking about, which is um, called The Half. And uh, it's an interesting piece. It's why I wanted to, to cover it, is that it is a one-man show now, or one-actor show now, that this is not new to anything. There have been one-person shows. We have Bella Vamhurst, Emily Dickinson. We have uh, Give em Hell Harry, Harry Truman. We have um, Mark Twain Tonight, Hal Holbrook. I mean Mark Twain. Um, he's so connected with that. But this one is a little different. It's not historical. The uh, person playing, uh, there's only one star of the show, and it's okay to say star because there's no one else in the show. So can't hurt anybody's feeling, and that is John. Um, this play had some hiccups with COVID, COVID as many did. Um, so, uh, uh, Michael, why don't you take a little bit through the history of, of, of getting it? One, it's a, a North American premiere. And was John involved with it from the beginning, or did he audition and you lost him and then got him as... Um, John John Connolly does not audition at the White Heron Theater <laughs> If we could possibly convince him to come, we do. Um, but the play, and I, you know, I don't want to eat up a, a whole hour talking about how the play came to be here. But we, uh, the first show that the company did was uh, Bernard Shaw's Candida, which we took to Edinburgh to the Fringe Festival, and in the next venue, this play was playing, and a TV actor, well, actually, he's a pretty big actor, Guy Masterson, British actor, was doing the show. And uh, I went over one day and saw it, and then I just kept going back because I loved it, the play, you saw the play, so obviously the play, the text, the script, the story is amazing and beautifully written. Um, and then we left Scotland, I didn't know who wrote it, I didn't know where it came from, I didn't know if it was published, I didn't know. And it took me about seven years to track down, finally. And it turned out it was written by an, an Irish actor named Richard Dormer, uh, who would be known to some people uh, as an actor on Game of Thrones. 
And I finally tracked down his agent, and I finally got the rights to the play, and then COVID hit, and that was a couple of years. And I'll, to be really honest, I, I believe that the play was written for someone like John. I mean, it's it, his training, his experience, his talent are perfectly suited to this piece. And I wasn't sure that he would want to come here and do it and work with me as a director because he'd never worked with me or anything. And fortunately, I took a shot in the dark and sent him the script. And I immediately wrote back. I was excited yeah, about it. And I, it never occurred to me that we might be able to get someone like John or John to come do the play. So I was very proud. Now, um, again, we'll talk about the the intensity of the play, um, and that you know, again, being a one person play, if it's a comedy, it's a little easier. This is a little more difficult. It is. Uh, a one person. Why don't you tell us the basic plot? I mean, again, we know it's the halves. In other words, it's an actor in the dressing room at half hour, and but this actor is at a particular point in his life. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, he's uh, he's been out of work largely, um, certainly as a as a stage actor for a number of years, and. Uh, has been sort of relying on voiceover work and commercial work and stuff. Uh, drinking problem, I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, and it's led to his wife, uh, this is full of spoilers, just spoilers here, but uh, yeah, he's in a situation in his life where he's, there are a lot of regrets and a lot of uh, feelings of, of lost and wasted time, and so he has put all of this pressure on this show. This is going to be the thing that revives his career and his dreams of, you know, knighthood. And I'm sure he's, some of his friends from RADA, you know, have gone on to enormous success and, and he envisions that for himself, but has a lot of uh, demons and, and a lot of baggage to work through to get there. And he, uh, again, as you said, that he's putting all his eggs in this basket. He is also uh, producing it it's a one-man, I mean, it's a show within a show. He's preparing to do Hamlet, yeah. one-man performance of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so he's writing, directing, and he doesn't even have eyes out there, like, obviously. And we'll talk a little bit about how you guys work together on, on a one-person, not a lot of, there is some business, but not where you've got entrances and exits and pick up this and do that kind of thing. Um, but so he's done the whole thing. This is, is like you said, it's his mm -hmm. way. And right from the beginning, we can tell the audience, I did see the show, it was marvelous. Um, he is freaked from moment one. <laughs> yeah. He does all his warm-ups and all that. That's great. We got what to do to die today and all that good stuff. But he goes in and out of, of, of panic that would kill us all. And then somehow, you slap yourself in the face a lot, somehow he gets himself back on track to, to put on makeup to get ready for the show. Well, that's the, that's the continuing pattern of the show, is escalation and then you know, release and escalation and release. And over the course, it, the you know, escalations get higher and higher, the stakes get higher and higher, and the, uh, the things that he puts in his own way get uh, larger and larger. Um, but also, the great mechanism of the piece is you know that it has an end. You know that he's going to get his call at some point. And so there's a limited time for all this to take place. And as you watch it 
rising, hopefully, uh, you know, it creates a lot of uh, intrigue and suspense as to what's going to happen and, and how he's going to uh, manage or if he's going to manage to get out of um, There is also humor. Uh, it is a, a little depressing, but it, there's humor in it. And one of the humorous things is, uh, and again, I don't know if it's in the script specifically, but you try to kill yourself on stage in a bunch of ways. And can you tell us a few of those ways that you tried to kill yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I try to drown myself in a sink. I try to strangle myself. I try to slit my wrists with a broken plastic cup. Uh, I try to beat myself to death. Um, and I, uh, I then try to cut my wrist, leg, or then throat with a razor. Um, obviously, I think it's clear that however much this actor wants to do that, that he's probably not going to be capable of pulling it off. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot to, he, he does. Uh, I, a friend of mine saw the show who has done a show with me before and I said, well, you don't even really need to see it because you've been in a dressing room with me half hour. He's like, right, right, all the suicide attempts and everything. I was like, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so it is, it gets pretty extreme. Let's, let's ask two, two basic questions people probably come to the show. How did y'all learn all those lines? How uh, did, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's 75 minutes all by yourself and you don't stop talking. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's some parts were pretty easy and, and some parts were, were harder. Uh, the tricky part about this is that continuous pattern is, is a repeated pattern. And so the actual, it's not a particularly linear, you know, like uh, we go from one world to a different world, which that helps in memori memorizing. Uh, and in this one, we're in the same world the whole time and the, the stakes get larger, but essentially the events are the same over and over. Um, but after you get it on its feet, and I definitely had worked on it a lot before I came here, just to have it familiar. Um, once you put it on its feet, everything gets a sort of geographic component in terms of, you know, you understand that this is what you say when you're dealing with this part of the stage and such. Um, and then the, like the ending rant was the piece that was the most elusive until I really just broke it down into pretty small pieces um, and gave them a, a physical relationship. And the absurdity at that very last moment, we now again, it's, it's more than a half hour. Uh, we won't talk about that, but it, it um, not by much, but so you're getting closer and closer, but you're, you're no more ready to go out. And in fact, at one point you discover you don't have your pants and you're looking around and there's, there's no pants. You, it, it, it appears to you, you, to your mind that I walked all the way here without my pants. But after you, which is a beautiful scene where you open up a package from your former wife who always gives you an opening night present even though you're not married anymore and it's a little music box. And that sort of is, uh, we're all going to guess whether it's true or not, that that is the final thing that lets you, even with no pants, the light comes off, off stage that clearly is, is to us to indicate the stage lights have come up 
and you walk out there, you got your shirt on, you got your jacket on, clearly you're doing this not in, in period dress. You're doing it in modern dress, Hamlet, maybe you put on some pieces out there, we don't know, we don't see the performance, but you walk out into that light. And what was your final line? The rest is silence. The rest is silence. One other hysterical thing that I just have to bring up, because again, I don't know if people will ever get to see this play again, you sword fight with yourself, technically. We won't t say hi. Hope someone's still coming to see this. I've done shows, directed shows, where I've had to hire a choreographer. You sword fight with two foils all by yourself. And I don't know if you work down together. I'm going to talk to Michael a little later because I know you have to split. But I really... One more performance. One more performance on Sunday. And, uh, and the rest is silence. The rest is silence. So, yeah. Who knows after that? May, who knows who, what will happen with the play? It's, it's not published. It's, this is the North American premiere. It, you know, I would love to have another opportunity to see John do the play. And I should also mention that the rest is silence is meaningful because it is Hamlet's last line in the play when, and then he dies. Um, so I like to think that we're not quite sure what happens once he walks through that door, but we've gone on a, an incredible journey with him. Yeah. Let, me, let me ask you just one quick last uh, uh, personal question, John. Uh, was there any of you in it? In other words, have, have you come yet to a point not this extreme of where, you know, lines might be a problem or do I really, am I making money, you know, am I living, what is, what is my future? Uh, we, you know, I think every actor hits that at one point, usually, hopefully later, way later in life. But is this, if you brought, taken anything from the, is anything in the character from John himself? Always, yeah. I mean, I think that's the job is you, is you, find a way to make a connection and in this case it is easier because he's an actor and you know I I know lots and lots of actors because that's my community um, and I know lots of actors who would look at my career and think that I'm a huge success and I know lots of actors who would look at my career and think that I haven't done anything and on both sides I haven't come across an actor who hasn't at some point felt like this is not working out for me. People who, who have literally made millions and millions of dollars in the business. So, so that's a common universal thing. I think it, um, you know, it, it's a, something, it costs you and uh, you have to sort of go in and out of different degrees of, of control over what you're doing and, and your life as an actor and that can be difficult to take. So there's lots of commonality there. Um, on the other hand, the first thing I said to my mother when she saw the show last night uh, and was a little sort of shaken at the end of it, I was like, my life is not at all like this guy's life, don't worry. Um, and it's not, which is thankful because you know, he's a, a fictional creation, but it wouldn't be, I don't think it would be based on my, my you know, hour and 15 minute uh, forays into his spirit uh, well so I think it's chaotic I, in there I think what that again attests to both uh, Michael and you in direction and in acting is that that was not what came across to us um, no I, I believed every minute of it and again part of it is that I have a background in theater a lot of the jokes opening up the opening card night card from equity I'll leave that for people who haven't seen it priceless
And since you're, and I bet you people, you're your own equity deputy, right, for this show? Yeah, there I, you go. I won the election. You, you, yeah. you won the election. I'm so, not supposed to know that, by the way. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, who are, who are we supposed to go? Yeah, because you're a producer in. But um, so again, kudos to both of you because it didn't look like an actor acting. Um, and, it, and again, you don't even have a name in the play, you're the actor. And that says it all. And you really, I felt very bad for you. You, because the character, but you too, as an actor, because I couldn't not think, because I don't know you, some of this might, I don't know if he's got an alcoholic problem, but he must have been terrified at some time. He must, so this, but you're just telling me you took it from other life experiences, and you're a happy guy. Uh, you know, uh I certainly have not been happy, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I, again, I think every actor can very much relate to this and, and would bring personal experience to it and find a way to connect. Uh, that said, I, I don't think the person who actually is that person would probably be tackling this job. <laughs> there you go. Well, so and thank you again. Uh, thank you again. We, we right. know, know you got to run, John. I, I want to. The rest is not silence. No, trust. And I me. do want to say what uh, an amazing uh, pleasure and privilege it is to do this with Michael Kopko and White Heron Theater because uh, it's this is an amazing theater, and I feel, and my wife and I both feel really lucky to uh, to get to work here, and so. Um, tell us uh, about the theater in general. Uh, again, I think I probably mentioned one of my texts to you that I've done theater uh, in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, mostly northern Massachusetts. Um, and I had no idea that there was a theater on Nantucket. I would have assumed it was a, uh, if there was any, it was community. Because um, there's a year-round population, so I'm assuming there's high school and whatever, so there could be community theater. Um, I uh, used to uh, vacation a lot on Cape May. They have an equ small equity theater there, um, but I really had no idea this. So tell us about the history. Does it go back before it becoming professional, or did it start there? No, the company started as a professional company in New York, actually, in 2004. Um, our artistic director, Lynn Bolton, started the company with Earl Gister, who was the dean of Yale grad acting at the time, and she had studied with him. And they produced, did a production of, um, of The Seagull at um, Second Stage in New York. I know all Second um, Stage, it's a great, yeah, great place. Yeah, and she was part of the Actors Center and all that stuff back then. And then Earl got sick and passed away, and the company kind of went fallow, and then Lynn, had a house here and we got to know each other working at the community theater, the theater workshop. We were both directing plays there and uh, we found that we had a commonality of the way we've been trained and what we like to do and so we um, decided to try a production uh, and we did a full equity production, the first thing we ever did, of Bernard Shaw's Candida in Nantucket in January. Um, when nobody's here, and um, and it was a huge success and, and went really well. And we decided that we wanted to continue doing this and how could we do that. So we took, we applied to a big theater producer at the Edinburgh Festival, and we did. And while we were there, actually that was when we found this play, The Hat. 
Um, but after that, we, we played 30 out of 31 days at the festival. And then um, I had gotten to know Lynn obviously much better as a co-producer, sort of. And we started talking about how could we keep this going on Nantucket. And she said, well, I happen to have this 501c3 nonprofit theater company um, that's fallow right now. So we decided to restart that company. And that was here in 2012. We went to Edinburgh. So 2013, we really started producing here. We were in a tent on the property for two years. And the town finally said, no more tent, you know, that was temporary. So we either build the thing or get lost. So we built the theater um, and we opened the theater in 2016. This building was purpose built on an empty lot. Hi, that was going to be my next question. Was this building here? Clearly you've answered that. And we built it from the ground up uh, and opened it in tw July 2016 with um, Olympia Dukakis did her one woman show Rose. Uh, and that was our opening night, and we've been going ever since. And now you came along, so you've been with the the, the theater here from that beginning. I have been, yeah. yeah. In some form or another. This theater, yes. Yes. We, yeah, Lynn and I kind of built it from scratch here, the company. Um, I had, I've lived here for 40-something years, and I did a lot of work with the community theater here. There was another professional theater company here for 20 years called the Actors Theater of Nantucket, uh, run by one of my great friends, Richard Carey, and I did a lot of work there, acting and directing as well. Um, so, and, and I always felt like there, would, there was an audience for, you know, the, the Theater Workshop was sort of a community theater. It's now become more of a hybrid. They have a lot of professional people working there. Um, and they do a great job. And they're more sort of musical. And, um, you know, Neil Simon, you know, sort of summer theater type stuff. And then the Dreamland has a wonderful kids theater program and also a community theater program in the fall. So we, we thought there was a niche for us at the kind of just equity straight plays, you know, um, that would be our niche. So that's what we decided to do. And now your official title, you directed the show, which is always, everyone does a little of something. They either yeah. build sets, they do marketing or whatever. So you have a higher title, right? Yeah, my, my actual title is producing director and co-artistic director. And Lynn Bolton is the artistic director and we, we do all the sort of creative planning and programming together. Um, but I run the whole production end of the thing. Uh, get, you know, get the designers in, get the directors in, get the uh, actors in. And I, I've, I've directed, I think, four or five plays over the years and been in a couple myself. What is the equity contract that you're working under? We work on an SPT-5, Small Professional Theater 5 contract right now. Um, which seems to fit us well because we don't run plays more than five nights a week and um, it affords us some flexibility that way. We, you know, we always knew that one thing that we had going for it was we were in Nantucket in the summer, which is why we can get John Connolly and Celia King Bolger to come do plays at our little theater. And we've had a number, you know, a lot, a hundred great Broadway actors come here. And they they want to come back because they're 
it's a busman's holiday in life. It's great. It's great. And we do the kind of work, you know, Lynn and I were trained in a very classical way and, uh, and uh, you know, sort of mid-century classic American theater and Chekhov and Shakespeare. And, and we tend to attract people who are trained that way and work that way. And, and so it's been, that's been very important. The only reason I ask this is because it does make an interesting uh, mix in any theater. I, I've worked uh, most of my stage management life was at a uh, uh, Lord A theater. So they've got the most restrictions as, as to contracts and that. What is your contract ratio for actors? Um, Pro versus, not, you know, union versus non? Yeah, we work, work 100% equity. We, we only, I can't. I, we may have sought a waiver once or twice for an actor, um, which might have been me, because I'm not equity, I'm eligible, but I never joined because my, I, most of my working life is on the producing side. But we're pretty much 100% equity acting and stage management. This play, like I told you before, has been a labor of love for me for 10 years. I've been chasing this play, wanting to do this play. I know the play really well, um, and I feel really strongly about it. I believe in it. So getting an actor like John, and like I said, it was, it was sort of a shot in the dark even asking him because I didn't know whether he cared to do it or, you know, Celia was coming to do a show anyway, so he was going to be in the neighborhood. There you go. So I thought, and he really is, what he brings to this, you, you saw, I did. is remarkable and, and it's right in his wheelhouse. So I took a shot in the dark and emailed him the script. And he literally wrote back the next day and said, I love this, I really want to do it. So um, I felt very lucky about that. Um, and John and I, we didn't really talk much <coughs> before he came up a couple of times, but he was doing a lot of work, obviously, on the text. When he came in, he was ready to go. So we, the, and directing a one-person play, <coughs> excuse me, is, is not something I'd ever done. And it's a, I, I would say it's a very different type of process. Because, <coughs> for one thing, he's got to work on the text every day. So an hour a day of our rehearsal time was just him running the text with the stage manager. Um, and just running the text, the whole play, every day. Because um, that's really hard to do. And then the other thing is, with one actor, you know, a six hour rehearsal, you're not going to get anything done. You've really got to do a couple, three hours of working the play and then give him time to be working on his own too. And during, I love table work. And during the, the first day, or maybe two, we were at the table and we talked through the whole play. We discussed the story, we discussed the character, and we were in complete agreement about everything about, about the play. So at that point, I, uh, and John's an amazing actor, 
and I felt like it was really just my job to keep the production and storytelling moving the way we wanted it to and be his eyes out front. And working with him was more of, we'd go for a walk and sit on a bench after the rehearsal and we'd talk through about the character. We talked a lot about the, who the guy is because in a play like this, you've got to love the guy and care about the guy right out of the gate. Because if you don't, it's just, you know, who cares? So, and as John was describing it, the, the play is a series of tension and release moments. So, when he establishes who the guy is, who is a smart, funny, lovable, very talented, trained British actor, <coughs> as, as things, as we get into the tension and release, the tension starts to build, and then sort of the guy snaps back. He's like, oh, he's, oh yeah, he's that guy. He's that guy that we love. Now I remember. We love this guy. We want him to do well. We're rooting for him. And oh, no, things are starting. And then he snaps back with something funny or something self-deprecating or something about him that we love. And John is clearly eminently capable of, of bringing that rhythm to it. And like he said, so it's, it's sort of a tension and release and a crescendo at the same time. And it's, um, so my job was really just to help him with, you know, are we building too much here? Are we not snapping back enough there? And, but he didn't need a whole lot of, you know. Now, I did not read the script which I find you uh, interesting when I will do that because I'll watch a show that I may know or have had the script and go, what an interesting bit of business. Mm -hmm. How much of the business is written into the, into the script as in the th we talked about the way he tries to kill himself? Right. Does it just say he does something or does it literally list the four things? There are, it literally lists the four things. The play is very, um, is written in a very fulsome way. The, the author has written a lot of stage direction in the play, um, which, in my opinion, for a one-man play, that's a it's a really handy thing. It's a great thing to have. And the play, as you can see, takes place in this very claustrophobic set. It's a small space. He never leaves. He's just in here, and this is all he has. So a lot of the, you know, a lot of the businesses, there's a stage direction, but then you've got to obviously find, you know, what precisely it is. When he dances and singing in the rain and he has an umbrella, what is the umbrella like? Where does he find it? How does it work? Um, things like that. And, um, but John's physicality is remarkable. He's a, he's a big guy. And very and so nimble, and we we talked a little bit before about the stage, uh, the sword fight, which, uh, you know, we talked early about that about okay, do we get a fight choreographer in, and do we have him? Because the stage directions really indicate more that he runs through the choreographed sword fight with himself that he's going to be doing later. And we made a choice that that wasn't what we were going to do, that it was going to be more a part of the stream of consciousness moment that he was in. And so the, the thing about a one-person show, too, is blocking and choreography 
I'm, I'm usually very organic about blocking, and I like actors to find mm -hmm. things, and then my job is to sort of edit that. No. Um, and with, but with a one-person play, you don't have to worry about entrances and exits and upstaging people <laughs> and you know, everything else. It's just the guy. So he, um, I got him a couple of swords, and he worked with them. And it, I think it turns out beautifully. It's such a great scene. It is, and we won't, again, like I said, if you don't get to see it this Sunday, you'll have to wait yep. for it to be done. And if it's done somewhere else, it won't be done this cleverly, if, if not by John. Now, you mentioned that he's large, and I, I would say this to his face, but he's not here. One of the things, when the lights came up, I, I said, there is a actor with no vanity. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, for the audience, I can tell them this, he is in a old man's uh, sleeveless tank top t-shirt. Yep. And box, boxer what shorts. What they call a vest in English, yes. This shirt. And, and boxer shorts. And boxer shorts. And, and, he, and he puts socks and then he puts shoes on. And that's the entire show. This very large man, skin tight t shirt, yep. bouncing around. And yet that's what the character, I mean, you know, in and your dressing room, you're not going to look. No, and John's physicality to me is really interesting. I'm a pretty big person myself, but he is not, I wouldn't describe John as a fat person. No. Oh, no. He's a large A person. large he's man. He's in really good shape yep. for someone built like him. Yep. And he's so physically nimble. And as an actor, you know, like you said, he was... You made you make the decision right out of the gate. Okay, this guy's in his underwear through the whole play. So I figured that. I said I looked at the I looked at the coat tree. There's a couple of things on. I said no. He's at the half. He is not. If he dresses at all, it won't be until just before right. he goes out. Yeah. So okay, I will live with that. Mm -hmm. And he he lived with it. It was it's not you know. It's like he, he always says, like I was telling the story earlier about, he said to his mother last night, and this is a line from the play, his mother saw the play last night, she's seen him everything I'm sure he's ever done. And she was very moved and a little upset because, you know, is this really what you're, it's like? And she was hugging him and crying. And then she stepped back from him and she's quite a bit shorter than he, and looked up at him and said, I just, I don't know how you can do that. And he said, well, it's my job. And which is also a scene in the play. He says that to himself in the play. And, and being a consummate professional, a really well-trained actor, this is the other thing about the play is the, act, the character has to be a really good Shakespearean actor. You have to see that training and see that presence because the actor slips in and out of Hamlet a lot in the course of the play. And we have to, when he does that, we have to see, oh, wait a minute, this guy this is the real deal. He's, he really is a, a RADA trained Shakespearean actor. But uh, as you say, it's so interesting, and for those who don't know Shakespeare, it's so well done that he just comes in after this nut stuff, he'll do a soliloquy, and it's also, again, the staging's brilliant in the sense that we are the mirror. 
-hmm. So he's looking at, there's no mirror, there's no light, even though the poster's very, you know, with the lights around the, uh, around the mirror, he just looks out at us and he's looking at himself. Yeah. And so a, a beautiful uh, conceit to, to not have to worry about breaking the fourth wall, although you're constantly doing it. Right. And he slips into Shakespeare, one of my favorites is what, uh, uh, what something of a man, I forget. What a piece of work is a man. Okay, this is again now, I think, there we go. Let's make sure this comes back. Um, and brilliant, you know, beautiful Shakespeare. And But then there are beautiful speeches that aren't part of the what's the matter with my life speeches written by the playwright mm -hmm. that are, you know, uh, original words. And that one, the one that I was, to, that really moved me and I only heard it once, was where he is talking again. He's divorced. Uh, he has a drinking problem, so that's maybe what ha broke him up. But he's been divorced for a while. And he recounts a, a time when he and his wife, I don't know if it was early on or when they were engaged, and they're in a, a cafe in France. Right. And he then just does a soliloquy to no one, to himself, oh, I rem I'm a remembrance. Yeah. And it breaks your heart. It's gorgeous. It gorgeous. Your and that's, that's the author and yeah. the playwright. And, the and I have to point out the lighting director. I, yes. Because I really, when I came in, uh, when we first started attacking the show, there were a lot of lighting cues. And I thought, well, uh, okay, this I gotta see because he's in its tiny little dressing room and I don't want it to be all theatrical. Correct. And so it wasn't. The design was beautiful, it was muted, it was almost imperceptible, but there were a lot of lighting cues and that particular speech when he's talking about he's in Paris at an outdoor cafe with the woman he loves and starts to rain and this song, uh, uh, Singing in the Rain, woman starts singing, singing in the rain, this becomes their song, their anthem. And uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story and the way he, he's telling it to himself is brilliant. And there was this lighting cue there that was imperceptible. And at some point you realize that the whole bottom half of the stage is bathed in this sort of ro dusty rose pink, but you don't really see it happening. It just, it's just there. Well, again, my co my compliments to the designer because that is something I, I catch. Mm -hmm. And you'll be watching a show like this that just doesn't have a lot going on, but uh, movement or whatever, there's no reason, in other words, no motivation. Right. No one turns a light on and off, no one opens a window. Mm -hmm. Time doesn't change, it's a half hour. Yeah. But you need to change the tone <coughs> for whatever reason, either emotionally or he's going to be in this spot for a while we, it's a white set yep. we got to be careful that we are focused on him yep. and yes imperceptible but everyone that i saw something has changed i said that's good that mm -hmm. i would have done that well he also does this speech from here or really early in the play about people coming into the theater right and the sound of of wooden floors and creaking chairs and then this uh, hushed conversation, and then people saying shh, and then it's a false alarm. So they start talking, and then shh, it's a false alarm again, and then silence. And it, it's this beautiful speech, sort of an, an ode to the theater, to going to the right. theater. And there was this beautiful light cue that was built for that. Again, 
it's a it's a little kind of soliloquy he's doing here, and the lights just imperceptibly draw you and draw highlight you. and yeah. yep. So I was very no. lucky to have that. No, very Christina and Watanabe was like, wonderful. Like again, give uh, I'm sure they're gone now. She's gone now, but. Okay. Uh, but send uh, kudos that way. Well, I think we need to wrap up. This has been marvelous. Great. Let me, is there anything that, that you've left out about the theater or the show? Um, nothing, I, I, you know, we always feel strongly about every play that we do. Um, we have another show running right now called Sea Monsters of the Deep that was written by our resident director, Mark Shanahan, who's done a lot of work with us. Um, I would love to see John do this play in New York for a short run um, and see the play get some legs under it because it's, it's a brilliantly written play and it deserves a life. And I, I have a feeling Richard Dormer may have even forgotten that he ever wrote it, so we'll see how that works out. Great. Well, I want to thank you and continued good luck with the theater. Thank you. Uh, and I certainly will be back. Great. Thanks.